0: I'm going to direct your attention to the book of Ephesians, and, uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter four. So I'm in between right now. I'm in between series, and um, you know, as we're going to pastoral season, um, you know, we're going to be focusing our sermon series, our sermons more on the um, particular time that we're in, the season we're in. Um, then after that, um, we will see which, where the Lord takes us. Um, so in this topical uh, t- period that we're in right now, uh, what led me to this sermon? Well, as many of you know, Eric and Cindy Lou are in the process of getting married, and we began our counseling session recently, um, and our counseling session, our first one, was about communication. My premarital counseling, I always begin with communication as I was um, reviewing with them. It just brought to mind the importance of communication, um, not only for married couples, but for all of us. And so I wanted to uh, really dive into the word of God and see what it talks about in terms of godly communication. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. And in this we read, Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this grace, this privilege that we have to uh, sit under your word, the ministry of your word. Uh, Your word is truth and your word sanctifies, it cleanses, it renews. And, oh Lord, we need to be cleansed. And so, Father, as we look to your word now for divine guidance on how we speak with one another, I pray that we would be open and receptive. May our hearts be humbled. May our minds be uh, uh, aware and make connections to reason. More importantly, Lord, if there's anyone here who's not converted, who's not born again, Father, we pray for conversions. We pray for the new birth. We pray, dear Lord, that, that all these principles that we learn are impossible apart from the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, we pray that not only we become better people, but we pray that we become saved people. And so, Father God, we ask that you would uh, uh, minister through us. Use me as a vessel of honor, Father God. Anoint my mind, my heart, and my lips to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There is an old saying, and you've heard it many times, it is not what you say, but how you say it. Depending how you package your words, It can be very effective or it could be counterproductive. Sometimes even if you have something really good to say, if said the wrong way, it's going to backfire. Perhaps there is nothing more important in this life that you can acquire than communication skills. Communication skills are something that very few people work hard to achieve But they are something that from a young age, I believe, and I see it now even in my daughter's middle school, that they're giving them communication classes, developing your language abilities, developing uh, how we present things and, and how we communicate and when we communicate are absolutely imperative and fundamental to our relationships. If you're a good communicator, you will have good relationships. If you're a bad communicator... You will have bad relationships. From your marriages to your friendships to work collaborations to church members. Our relationships depend on how we talk to one another and how we communicate to one another. And what it does also, it tells us who we are, how we communicate. It tells us who we are. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 34, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The more someone speaks, you the more you know who they are. You know, it's often said if you want to get the truth out of someone, take them for a few drinks because as their lips lips become loose, they just let it all out, and you find out who a person really is. Now, we're not talking about Christians, but clearly, uh, our words uh, reveal something about who we are inside. If our words are poisonous and they're Hurtful and damaging and destructive, it reveals something about a heart. It's a heart full of pride. It's it's a heart that's poisoned. It's a it's a heart that's destructive. It's a heart that's hurt. But when our words are gracious, it reveals a heart that is humbled and grateful and worshipful and Christ centered. And so, what that said, words can either build up and edify, or they could tear down and destroy the bible tells us that in proverbs eighteen twenty one that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits so in the tongue as james tells us the tiniest of members has the power to set on fire a whole forest within the tongue is is a world of poison it it hell itself is set on fire by the tongue who can tame it james says but yet the tongue could be used for much good. It is through the ministry of the word that people are saved and brought to Christ. It is through the power of the word that people are encouraged and strengthened. It is through the power of the word that bonds are formed. So how we wield this little member of our bodies can determine our course in life. As I observe the world, as I observe church, I observe people, as I look at myself, as I see families, I've come to the realization that most, if not all of our relational problems, come down simply to this, a failure to communicate. And I see it play out in so many ways. two things to observe. Number one, there are times to speak up, and there are times to shut up. And sometimes we don't know when to do what. There are times when it's imperative that we reserve ourselves, that we practice discretion. It's not always necessary to share our opinion. Oh, we live in a society where everyone's opinions count. Uh, whenever I turn on the news, it, it, you know, a news reporter's job is to report on a particular issue, and then they stand in the street and wait for passerbys and say, what's your opinion on the matter? And Sometimes you just hear the dumbest things come out of people's mouths, and you almost wish they would never speak, period. But everyone feels their opinion counts, but that's simply not true. Not everybody's opinion does count. Sometimes it's better to quiet yourselves and consider the facts and think before you speak. Your opinion could be uneducated, it could be uninformed, and it could be harmful. On the flip side, there are times when we must speak up. There are times when we see things that must be addressed. There are problems in in, in life and we must deal with confrontations which we're not always comfortable with. How do we deal with people whose behaviors are toxic? How do we? What do we do when we see a fire burning? Do we yell, get out of the building, or do we stay quiet? There are times you must speak up. Sadly, Christians tend to speak up on the matters that don't count, and the ones that do, we stay quiet. And secondly, my observation in the world of social media, podcasts, and new books being published almost daily... There is no shortage of platforms to communicate today. You want to jump into a toxic world, a mess of communication, and get on social media. And our children today are inundated with this. You want to learn how not to communicate? Go on social media. Because social media teaches you everything you should not do. The problem with social media is people feel the safety behind a keyboard or behind their iPhone and they don't necessarily pause to think about how others will interpret or view or perceive them online, and that could be very different from who they are in person. What you would say online, you wouldn't say in a crowded room of people where you might have to face people face-to-face, and so we're less reserved, we're less discreet, and we certainly are more candid and say things that we may not think of the repercussions of. With so many opportunities to speak We need to be more prudent than ever. As the Bible says in the multitude of words, transgression is not lacking. And so with that said, I want to approach this today, this passage that gives us guidance about how we should communicate. And I think it it gives us a very good uh, guide in how we communicate with one another as believers. If you're a married couple this is really going to help you because as whether you're married or preparing for marriage or you're single and hope to be married one day, and even if you're not married and you have sisters or brothers or, or children, this is going to equip you on how to deal with one another more effectively. In fact, in marriages, one of the, one of the number one reasons why marriages fall apart is because married couples have a hard time communicating with one another. And one of the main reasons is they take all the baggage from their growing up in their home with their parents. And so if you grew up in a home where your mother and father were always shouting or whining or nagging or manipulating or threatening or name-calling or criticizing, all of these forms of communication are toxic and they shape and mold us, and we bring that baggage into a new relationship. Whether you like it or not, you were shaped and molded by your parents And as believers, there is that putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man. Learning to get rid of those habits that we formed that are destructive. However, there is hope. If you have the spirit of Christ in you, and you're born anew, you can improve your communication skills. And as a result of improving your communication skills, you will strengthen Not only your marriages, you will strengthen all of your relationships and you will find yourself to have more fruitful and edifying relationships with others. The first point I want to point out is that honesty is the best policy, speaking the truth. That is the first uh, point of my sermon. It tells us, put away all falsehood and let each of you speak truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. If we're going to have good relationships with each other the first policy, the best policy, is honesty. We have to be honest with one another. And so we have to realize in being honest with one another, it takes two to tango. Not only must we be honest and truthful with one another, but we must also create an environment where people can be truthful with us. So it goes both ways. Nothing can be more destructive to any relationship than dishonesty or deception. I could think of relationships that I've had with people over the years, really solid, good relationships, people that were part of this church at one time, and because of dishonesty and lies, I've lost all respect for those people. It's almost impossible to reconcile those kind of relationships because something's broken, something's lost. There's a sense of deception, there's a sense of, of, of what, do you take me for a fool and so relationships are broken. That's why the scripture says, put away falsehood. Put away lying. Why? Because lying reflects Satan. It reflects the devil. It doesn't reflect God. What did Jesus tell us in John eight forty four? The devil is the father of all lies. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks his native language. It goes right back to the garden. What did, what did the devil do? He cast doubt on the word of God. And he lied. He deceived Eve, and therefore Eve deceived Adam. And so deception is the is the work of Satan and those who lie. That's why the Bible tells us about false prophets. They're not just false prophets, they're lying prophets. And they give lying signs and wonders because they're agents of Satan. And so, therefore, needless to say, truthfulness is the foundation of any good, solid relationship. And it must be encouraged, it must be fostered, it must be practiced, and it must be welcomed. So what does that mean? Well, it first means that we need to be able to speak. All right. We must be able to speak the truth. Right. Speak the truth in love. The first part of speaking the truth is speaking. It means you, you don't clam up, you don't hold things in. It means that when something needs to be said, you said it, but it also means that you don't blow up. Right? Because there's going to be times where something that needs to be said, you might be angry, you might be upset, and you might blow up and explode. And therefore, whatever you intended to say is going to be rejected. And so it's, it's avoiding blowing up, and it's avoiding clamming up, but speaking. That's what the Word of God tells us to do, to speak the truth in love. It means that, that when we have relationships with other people, there are going to be things that bother us. There are going to be things that we need to say, but we're afraid of confrontation. We're afraid of conflict. And so we try to go around it or under it or over it, avoid it. But in the end of the day, you need to deal with it because otherwise you're being dishonest and you're breeding resentment within. It. The second thing we need to do in being honest, it means you speak, not only speak, but you must speak the truth. You must speak the truth. It is more than not lying. It is being open and being truthful, being transparent. It means addressing things that sometimes are unpleasant. When addressing a problem, we have to be careful of something. To address the facts, to address the facts, right? One of the one of the problems when we um, deal with a confrontation or conflict is we tend to attack the person, right? We need to address the facts and we need to be accurate about that and, and not exaggerate or inflate it because we're upset or angry right? So, so you may say you know, to someone um, you never take out the garbage. Well there's two, two words I was told never to use, never and always because they're not true There are infinite possibilities, right? But in anger, we exaggerate. You never do this or you always do that. That's simply not true, but it's the way we feel in the moment. So we have to be careful. We don't exaggerate the reality in confronting someone. Secondly, we have to be careful of inconsistency. Uh, What are we communicating? Does, Does it not match what reality is? Our perception of what is going on may be very different what reality is. And thirdly, we must be careful of disguised communication. What do I mean by disguised communication? Um, it's, it's a passive aggressive. Some of us don't like to deal with issues and, and confront truth. Or, and so what we do is we use a, a, a disguised communication. So going back, um, you know, to the idea of living in a household with a family and Let's say their sink is full of dishes. You walk in the house and say, someone left dishes in the sink. Well, we know who that person is, but when you say it's something, it's disguised communication. It's passive aggressiveness. And ultimately, doesn't speak directly to the matter. All right, so being honest means we speak. It means it's truthful. And it means it's done in love. All right, it means it's done in love. Uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. What does it tell us? It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped. And each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Okay, so there are, it's important that our words are couched in love. It, Think now, listen to me. While it's important to speak the truth, motives and delivery make the difference. If you are speaking the truth and it's in love, the person is more likely to receive it. If it's done with the intention to hurt someone, it's not going to be received. If it's done out of anger, if it's done out of malice, It's not going to benefit the person. It's going to tear them down. Sometimes the truth hurts. And sometimes we need to hear the truth. But you could also shred someone with the truth. It must be done in love. And so what we need to engage in is loving confrontations. You know what a loving confrontation is? It means that, that we seek the good of the person who we are confronting them with the truth. We're not intending to hurt that person or destroy them, but to build them up. That's a big difference. And I believe that most of of conflicts can be solved if we pray before we get into a confrontation and ask ourselves, is this necessary? Is it true? And is it helpful? And am I doing it in love, examining our hearts and our motives? If you confront someone and they think you're out to get them, there is nothing that's going to be accomplished. On the flip side of that, we can't avoid dealing with certain sins because there are times when we must confront people in our life with sinful patterns of behavior. And and, and that's the loving thing to do. That's the loving thing to do. If you see someone in a path of life that's destructive to themselves and everyone around them, you have to say something. Proverbs 27 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of the friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I don't need you to stroke my ego, and make me feel good about myself and my sin. And we're, we're so prone to do that. I think our culture today wants to pat everyone on the back, everyone's a winner. Everyone is good. Everyone is, you know, do what makes you happy. I think I was reading about this recently about a a uh, a family who's who's. Uh, oh yeah, it was about a woman who who won an award for adult uh, entertainment. Uh, right. So this woman is is a, is a porn star. Put it simply, he said, and they were interviewing her mother, or or and it was. Oh, I support my daughter. She's such a good person, and. Well, what kind of nonsense is that? What kind of human being, what kind of mother would support their daughter being a porn star? It's wrong and it's harmful to her and everyone else around them. And we're so afraid to confront people with what's wrong that we support whatever they want to do. We think that's loving. That's not loving. Loving is to warn people of what is harmful and destructive to themselves and others. So before engaging in loving confrontations, what are some things we should examine about ourselves? Number one, take the log out of your own eye. Take the log out of your own eye. So Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says this, why do you pick the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not take the log out of your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The Lord is not telling us that we shouldn't pick specks. right? But what he's saying here is you got people in life who are nitpickers, right? They pick nits, they pick specs, but they don't realize the big problems in their own life. Right? It's very easy to see the flaws and the peccadillo sins in others, but what about the areas in our own life? And what he's really talking about is pride, because the law there represents a blinding factor, and that's pride, it's arrogance. And see, in our, in our own arrogance and sinful pride, it's easy to, to blow up and to, um, 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 and to attenuate the sins of others. Well, look at how bad these people are. Oh, well, look at how bad what you're doing is. But we fail to see our own failures. So we need to examine ourselves first. Uh, while we may see the tremendous offense of others and our own sins small, we need to see our own sins first. Repent of them. That's what removing the log is. Removing the log is repenting of our own sin before we could do the delicate surgery of picking a speck out of someone's eye. I've gotten a speck in my eye and it hurts. It's a very delicate procedure to remove and eye washing. You need to be in clear vision to do so. Check the motive. Number two, check the motive. Is what you're going to say, is it going to be helpful is it, is it necessary? Is it truthful? Is it going to hurt? If it's going to hurt, do you seek the person's well-being? Prayer has a way of shining our, a light on our motives. What is our motive here? Is our intention to hurt the person or help them? Number three, check your attitude. If you're angry, it's best to calm down first. Anything done in anger is not going to result in good. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It's very rare that we are acting in righteous indignation. I've heard people justify their confrontations and very explosive confrontations by excusing it as righteous indignation. Oh, no, no, no. Righteous indignation is when we're concerned about the honor and glory of God. Most of our anger is selfish indignation. It's when our own honor and dignity is at stake and we respond in outbursts of wrath. And so, therefore, we need to check our attitude. If we just bulldoze our way through and explode, the results will never be good. Fourthly, is it the right time and place? Timing is key. You do not have a loving confrontation with someone at 11 o'clock at night when everybody needs to go to sleep and get up at 5 in the morning. There is a time and there is a place when we deal with loving confrontation you know, if someone is sick and they're battling the flu and they're in bed with a hundred and three fever, it's not the time or the place to have a loving confrontation. You know, it's, 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 it's knowing the time and the place is, is the person you're dealing with. Are they tired? Are they hungry? or are in the middle of something. Use wisdom. And fifthly, be ready to take it if you're going to give it. 99% of the times when you have a loving confrontation and say something to someone that they don't want to hear and they're not going to be happy with, they are going to boomerang right back to you and say, well, what about you? And if they've had anything they've been holding up or holding on to that they've been saving for the right time to share, you're going to get it. So be prepared to not only dish it, but to take it. All right. So finally, when dealing with confront- loving confrontation, was must always be wise enough, and this is imperative, to know when to walk away. To know when to walk away. If the situation's escalating and it's getting hostile and toxic, um, it's time to terminate the conversation. Not avoid it, but table it for another time. It, the worst thing we could do is you see if you just bury something and think it's, it'll always come back to haunt you. going you're gonna have to deal with it lovingly sooner or later. It's gonna be uncomfortable but walk away when it escalates. Because when people are in the flesh and they're angry and hostile, nothing will be accomplished. I keep saying that. All The second point of my sermon is keep current, keep current, keep current. In other words, we have to deal with these things as they come up. Conflict is going to happen in our lives. And when conflict happens, we need to deal with it when it occurs, and not let it go, so that bitterness may and resentment may build up in us. In verse twenty six it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. It's interesting, because the imperative command is there, be angry. Which is kind of ironic. And so there are times where where it's okay to be angry, as I said, in righteous indignation. But ultimately we should And we're going to have anger, selfish indignation in relationships. We should never go to bed taking that anger with us. The worst thing you could do with conflict is let it go unresolved. Unresolved anger creates animosity. And animosity becomes the seed to conflict and war. And eventually all out hostility. So we need to think about how we deal it. The first thing God expects us to do is resolve our problems that day. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, don't put it off for another day. If you have the ability to repent, if you have the ability to ask for forgiveness, if you have the ability to bring reconciliation, do it that day. This requires two things: it requires humility and forgiveness. It requires humility on your part to humble yourself if you are the wrong one, and even if you're not the wrong one, to make reconciliation, to humble yourself, um, and, and, and not go to bed with that anger, and also to be forgiving. Because if you don't, you're giving Satan a foothold in your life. You're opening the door for the devil to control you. The more hostility and anger and bruise in you, it's going to Satan will use that to make you sin and do something destructive and hurt people around you and he will sit there and laugh and get all the glory. There's nothing more than Satan enjoys than when God's image bears those made in his image fight and debite and devour one another. Satan loves that. Satan loves tearing families apart and marriages apart and mothers and fathers and kids apart. It's the throne of Satan to bring conflict and hostility and destruction. Furthermore, any future communication. Will be distorted by the unresolved conflict. The question is when do we confront and when do we cover? Because the Bible also tells us that love covers a multitude of transgressions. 1 Peter 4 8. Which issues do you confront and which issues do you cover? That's the question. The first thing we need to determine is how serious is the offense. How serious is the offense? Is the offense something that breaks the relationship? Is it, you know, is it a cardinal offense? Is it sinful in the eyes of God and not just a personal offense? Depending on the nature of the sin will determine whether we cover or confront. If someone, you find out, let's say you have a married couple and you find out that your husband is gambling all the money away at the casino... Well, that's a a serious confrontation. You cannot cover that up. a husband finds out his wife is unfaithful and she's having an adulterous affair, that's not something you cover up. If someone has offended you by the way they acted or they made a mistake or they made an error, it's probably the time to cover up. Annoyances and irritations are not the time for confrontations. It also is the frequency of the occurrence. In other words, is this an ongoing offense or did it just happen once or twice? An infrequent mistake uh, we cover over. But if there's consistent patterns of offenses, it's time to confront. If someone is continually being rude to you, if someone is continually being obnoxious to you, if someone's continually abusing you, you have to deal with that person. You know, a slight offense here and there. Yeah, we're all going to be rude and offensive to one degree or another. But if it's continual, if this is a pattern and it's a relationship in your life that is just ongoing, sooner or later you have to draw the line. Talk about boundaries, right? Oftentimes in abusive relationships, and it could be any relationship it's when we allow that person to continue to treat us in a bad way without drawing the lines and we're saying no more. And thirdly, is the offense harmful? Is the offense something that brings harm to you or the person? If you know someone who's in a dangerous behavior, not only do you have the right to confront them, you have a, sometimes a legal obligation to confront them. If you happen to know, and I've seen this before, and I've mentioned this before, if you have, and I, in fact, several years ago I spoke on this topic, and, and, and a woman came up to me and says, I know someone in my family who's potentially sexually abusing a member of my family. What should I do? Those are the times when you must not cover up. Sadly, 90% of sexual abuse happens with a close friend or family member. And that person never comes to justice because the family or friends cover it up. If you know of something like that, you do not cover it up. You go to the legal authorities and you hold that person accountable. If you find out that someone in the church, whether it's an officer, a pastor, is pilfering the funds of the church and they're stealing. I saw this years ago of a pastor in Illinois who was pilfering the funds, spending thousands on gambling of the church's money. You don't cover it. You go to the authorities. It's a crime. Not only must you confront it, you must expose it and you must deal with it. There's certain things, if they're harmful, you cannot literally just cover it up. But remember this, in whatever... whatever we're dealing with our main goal is peace and unity the devil's goal is to divide and create enmity to sow seeds of discord in our church and our homes we must not give him that foothold thirdly thirdly my sermon today is using our speech for building up and not tearing down look at verse 29 it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The word corrupting there there is uh, the word defiling, to, to defile, to make unclean, to, to make dirty. Corrupting talk is dirty talk, it's toxic talk, it's toxic communication. The word corrupt literally means words that cut and destroy. In other words, this is the kind of communication that is intended to hurt and intended to hurt and destroy a person, to cut them and shred them. Examples of corrupting talk are name-calling, calling people names, you moron, you idiot, how can you be so stupid, demeaning, condescending talk. Always or never, slob, jerk, fool you should never use these words to describe anyone when we use such words to describe our loved ones our spouses, our children or church members it's really destructive it could also be sarcasm how could you be so dumb why would you do such a thing Well, the answer is because you're an idiot. That's the sarcasm. That's the passive aggressiveness. In fact, Christ takes it very seriously how we talk to one another. Matthew 5.22 says, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, but whoever insults or reviles his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The Lord's saying that when we... When we demean someone by name-calling and diminishing them, what we're doing is we're bringing the condemnation of hell upon us. The Lord sees it as, as, as destructive as murder. Because we're murdering that person inwardly. We're murdering that person with our heart. We're killing them softly. There's other forms of toxic communication, a psychiatrist is referred to as the four horsemen of destroying any relationship, and that is criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. My own spin on that, and a few of them, are, I just want to bring out is what Scripture says. First is criticism. Criticism. In Matthew 7, 1 through 2, we can go back to the, to the whole point of the log in your eye and the speck in someone's eye. It's dealing with a critical spirit. Judge not lest ye be judged is not dealing with making a judgment or assessment, but it's dealing with being, having a judgmental spirit of being critical, of putting people down. It's very easy to be critical, but a critical spirit is rooted in pride. It, it's rooted in a, in, a, in a grandiose spirit that sees yourself as better and more smarter and more moral than others. And the cure for it is humility. The cure for it is humility. Is when we see ourselves who we are in the eyes of God and that we're sinners and that we are failures in every way, shape, and form. It's very hard to be critical towards others. When we see our own moral insufficiency before the eyes of God and realize that apart from God's grace to us in justification through the gospel, through the cross, that you are utterly worthless in God's sight, that you have offended God so many times in so many ways. If anyone should be criticized, it should be you for how you've sinned against God. God should send you to hell for your sins. And it's when you realize that and are humbled, that's when it's very easy to be gracious with others. Complaining. Complaining. The, the Lord, the Bible speaks a lot about complaining. In the children of Israel in the wilderness, um, they grumbled and they complained, and God sent a fire and, and really punished them for their grumbling spirit. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation. We live in a society of complainers. The most prosperous country in the world and we do nothing but complain. And when we have nothing left to complain about, we complain about the weather. You laugh, but it's true who sends the weather who sends the rain who sends the heat who sends the cold who sends the snow God we're really complaining against God all complaints are ultimately uttered against God what we're saying is God if you were doing a better job then none of these things would be happening constantly complaining whether we're complaining about others or complaining about our life or complaining about the kids or complaining about uh, our church members or complaining about our job or complaining about whatever it shows a heart that's not content in what God has done for you. We need to count our blessings and look at how good the Lord has been to us. Finally, blaming. Blaming. This is classic. It goes back to the garden when God confronted Adam and said, oh, it's the woman you gave me. If it wasn't for you. God give me the woman. And I, my, It's your fault and the woman's fault. And so it goes back to our sinful human nature to blame others, to shift responsibility away from ourselves and blame others for our sins. We need to take responsibility for how we act. You stand before God on Judgment Day and God says, you know, and you're held accountable and liable for your sins. You cannot say, God, it's because of all these other people. If I just had better people around me, I would never have sinned. It's their fault. This is hard to to grasp, right, when we're hearing all this because as I'm speaking, I'm speaking to the hearts of everyone here, including myself. We, we need, this, is, this goes back to the heart of who we are as Christians and how we deal with one another. Our relationships will improve the more we are honest with ourselves. See, you can't be honest with others until you're first honest with yourself and stop lying to yourself. Finally, edifying talk. The tongue can be used for life or death, and in this case, we are told that our speech should be used to give grace to its hearers. In other words, we should choose our and weigh our words carefully that we speak in such a way that it's going to encourage others to Christlikeness, that it's going to encourage others to be better people. When we are intentional and thoughtful and take our time to think about how we craft our language and then it's used for the benefit of others then we are using our mouths to impart grace that's what god wants for us to do why because that's what god does all of god's words are for creation for salvation and for sanctification the word of god is for our good And God speaks, and it is to edify. And so our words should be edifying. We need to, when we're dealing with confrontation and sin, affirm our love for the people we're dealing with. Speak in a tone that's winsome. If you come off with a nasty tone, more likely the person's going to be nasty right back. Address the problem, not the person. Talk about solutions. Don't just talk about the problem. And finally, always point people to Christ. Always point others to God. Always point to a positive outcome. When we seek the good of the people that we are talking to and seek to build them up and not hurt them, they will be more responsive. They'll be more likely to hear you and you'll have a positive impact on them. In all of this, we're warned in verse 30. (laughs) Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a warning that we must take seriously because there are serious implications. How we communicate with others, for good or bad, can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, we offend God. When we use our tongues to tear down, when we, when we use our communication to destroy, we grieve the Spirit of God. And God can't bless you. God's not going to work in your life. And then finally, in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is, we, this is the putting off and the putting on. Bitterness means holding a grudge and resentment, wrath. It's an explosion of anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And in 29.20 says, Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Anger, that abiding, slow, burning resentment that takes over us and our reason. Clamor, harsh contention, strife, argumentation, quarrelsome. Slander, talking critically about others, and malice, the desire to do harm. All these are intrinsic, To our sinful human nature. We need to put it off and in Christ put on the new man, put on the man that is intended to mirror the image of God, being kind to one another. To be tender hearted, to be to be forgiving. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. You see, the problem with the sinful behavior is that there are habits we've developed over a lifetime. You didn't just come out this way. And so it takes time and discipline to be nurtured in the word of God and to practice these new habits. We must act. It means being proactive and being intentional about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't just miraculously happen. You must make a willful and deliberate decision to obey God. To put on the new man. To... To put on Christ and to live in a way that reflects godliness. Let me conclude by saying this. This message is about skills that need to be developed. Pardon me, my nose is... uh... It takes time to develop these skills. It took a lifetime to develop skills that were ungodly. It takes a, two lifetimes to develop these skills that are godly. But we can do it. Because all that we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus has been imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. There's no excuse. You want to see your relationships thrive, your marriages, your relationship with your parents, your children your brothers, your sisters, your church members. Learn how to communicate better. Speak the truth and love to one another. And I guarantee you, you will have more fruitful, more edifying relations in your life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I know as I look to the congregation, I look within myself and I realize we are all works in progress. Your word dissected us today you shred us oh lord you shred us with your word but you tell us in your word that you wound us so that you could heal us and so we look to you to impart healing sanctification growth i pray that we would be more restrained with our tongues i pray that we would tame our tongues through the power of your spirit and we would learn how to communicate in a way that builds and edifies one another so that we may be children of God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the ways we misused our tongues. Forgive us for hurting others, for hurting those closest to us, and help us to be better. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, because if you weren't so forgiving to us, oh Lord, we would be brutal. We would be be done. We would be finished. And help us, Lord, to be just as gracious and forgiving to those who have offended us. Lord, we ask that you would please help us and instruct us in these ways. In Christ's name, amen.